Howdy, folks. We're going to drop the whole introduction that normally happens during this podcast because with now over 100 episodes published, you know who I am. You know what this podcast is. If this is the first time you've happened upon it, just check out the page. You can also contact me, so I'm going to drop that at the end. If you've got any questions or anything, please just contact me. I'd love to help you actually answer my phone and, and emails. So let's get into our study today. We're going to reason through the husband's authority over his wife. Now, this subject matter and the years and years I've been teaching and cover this subject matter, it tends to get some folks upset on both sides of the issue, especially in the culture that we live in in the United States of America. And one of the things that really happens with this subject matter, especially some women that, that I've talked to over the years, is all they hear is a preacher saying wives are to submit to their husbands. And after they hear that, they lose their mind. Listen, this is a well-balanced biblical subject. There's responsibilities in the marriage, both to the male and to the female. And what we're concerned about is what God has to say. Before I get into what God has to say, and my experiences are by no means authoritative. It doesn't matter what I've experienced. That doesn't constitute truth. God's word is truth. Like Jesus prayed to the Father in John 17, 17, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. And God's word is all sufficient. It's all that we need so that we might know how to do every good work. In fact, the Apostle Paul wrote to the evangelist Timothy great words about the inspired word of God. He says in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 15 through 17, that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Now, I want to come back to why I just set all that up. My experiences are not authoritative. I know I'm repeating myself. But I want those of you that are out there that will listen to this subject matter to not get some misconceived idea. Because I've had this discussion over years where people just tend to think that I and other preachers that preach the truth have just grown up in, in this certain pattern, and that's why we're teaching on these things. So let me tell you some things if you don't know it already. I spent the majority of my childhood in a single-parent household. My mother and my father were divorced when I was a baby. So I grew up and spent the, you know, till I was 14 years old with my mother. Uh, she got remarried once for a very short period of time. She had tons and tons and tons of boyfriends and other things that are just unrelated. Uh, but in that situation, in that single parent household, my experience wasn't what we're going to teach from the scriptures today. It was the opposite. I had a mother who was the authority figure. And by the way, she really wasn't. Uh, my brother and I, we did what we wanted to do. We didn't have guidance. After some time, uh, when I was 14, I, I went to live with my father and, and uh, I got to experience there uh, a, a male and a female figure in a marriage. And I had the opportunity anytime I wanted to, to go back and live with my single mother and do anything I wanted to do. I was a rebellious young idiot. But for some reason, I opted, even when I had the opportunity to go back to absolute freedom, I opted to remain in a household with an authority figure in my father who was overly, insanely strict and, and inconsistent as can be. Um, I, I, he had two children in his current marriage, 
and the rules that he imposed upon me, he did not impose upon them, yet even recognizing this, and by the way, all my friends saw it, uh, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, she saw it, you could see clearly that, you know, I was the mistreated stepchild by my stepmother, and that the rules were different, that my little brother and little sister had much more given to them than I did, yet I still chose to stay there. And now looking back on it as an adult and looking back on it with some understanding, I understand I needed that authority, even though it was abused authority, because living without authority was just a life of chaos. And even though as a teenage boy, you'd think that's what you wanted. I mean, and when I say freedom, I mean, my mother was cool with drinking, with alcohol, with girls spending the night, any and everything you wanted to do. When I got in trouble, she would lie to get me out of trouble. I mean, I'm talking about the rebellious teenager's dream home, and I chose to live in a household where I was struggling in high school. I moved from Ohio to Kansas. Uh, I had a difficulty with some subject matters because the Kansas school system was further ahead than the Ohio school system that I'd come out of. I did not have the teaching to lead up to that, to that class that I was in. My father grounded me until the next report card because I got a D. It wasn't because I was negligent in my studies. It was, I didn't get it. I didn't understand it. And, and the teacher wasn't very helpful. But my father absolutely didn't care. He was just going to put his foot down and get up and tell everybody how he's grounded me, blah, 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 blah. And I did not say, I'm going back to live with my mom. I stayed there. I stayed under that rule of abused authority. Folks, I get it. So when, when you know, women have said, well, you don't understand what my husband is like. Oh, I've seen this. Uh, men, when you say, you don't understand uh, what my wife is like. Listen, my stepmother manipulated my father. And she was a very manipulative, conniving. I should stop right there because the words come into my mind. I don't want them there. So I will stop. She was the kind of woman that on the outside, everybody said, oh, she's a great woman. No, she was not. She's the devil's sister. And my real mother, my birth mother, was the devil's wife. So I kind of get an idea. I hope you understand. I don't mean that literally. So I have seen all the abuses. I understand that the scriptures we're going to talk about, that there are households where the woman doesn't fill her role and or the man doesn't fill his role, and these scriptures are very difficult. Uh, when I was preaching in Pennsylvania, I had a sister in the congregation come to me, and I'd preached on, on some of what we're going to talk about today, and she said, what do I do, Brian? I want my husband to lead my home, but he absolutely refuses to, and he puts me in a position where I have to be in roles of authority that I don't want to be. So here it is. I get it. When you think that you might rebut what I'm about to say with some experience, I've either seen it or talked to people who have lived it. None of that, folks, changes the scriptures. The word of God is the standard and your situation doesn't change the standard, okay? So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the wife's a role. We're going to talk about the husband a little bit here. We're going to have some balance to this approach. I want to start with a statement in Mark chapter 10. And the context comes about because Jesus is asking a question. But as it relates to our subject matter, Jesus said in Mark 10, 6, from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. All right. That is from the beginning. So the subject matter we're talking about goes back to the beginning. In Genesis 2 and verse 7, the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Later in the chapter, in Genesis chapter 2, 15 through 24, the Lord God took the man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. 
And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helpmeet for him. And out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every fowl of the air and brought them unto Adam to see what he would call them. And whatsoever Adam called every living creature, <coughs> excuse me, that was the name thereof. And Adam gave names to all cattle and the fowl of the air and every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helpmeet for him. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam. And she slept and took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh instead thereof. And the rib, which the Lord God had taken from man, made he a woman and brought her unto the man. And Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. So that's how God created man, saw that it's not good for man to be alone, I'm going to give man a helpmeet. And the first marriage on earth was constituted in that way for the man to have the authority and the woman to be the helpmeet. Now, and I'll bring this up a little bit later, but after the transgression in the garden, God made it very clear that the husband would rule over the wife. I will... Get that scripture in as we go through our subject today. But before we get to that, we need to understand that there has to be roles of authority. Without roles of authority, there would be utter chaos. You understand that in every area of life, right? If you're a sports fan, a team without a coach is what? I mean, could you imagine a basketball team with personalities, uh, say 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 you got uh, LeBron James. I think that's a pretty well known name uh, on the same team as Kobe Bryant. I know he's passed. I know all of that. This is just an illustration. I'm trying to use well known names for those that might not be uh, basketball fans. And and I, again, I know this isn't going to happen today. But and you had Michael Jordan, well known name, and other starter type men on the same basketball team and they're all shooting guards or small forwards and there's no coach and the game is about to begin who's going to start who's going to take the court well they're all going to step out there right and if you've got other superstar players on that team let's say you've got seven men on the same position well a basketball team can only field five players at a time on the court. All seven of these dudes can't play the same position. You can't even all be on the court at the same time. Who's going to make that decision? It would be chaos in the workplace. Who's going to say who works what shift without a manager? I mean, could you imagine a place that has uh, multiple employees and, and absolutely no rule, no no standard, no guidance nobody that says we're, we're we're coming to work this time and leaving work that time and everybody just did what they wanted to do it would be chaos and and god is not the author of confusion when the worship assembly in corinth became chaotic because they were abusing their spiritual gifts uh, our, our lord points out you know he's not the one that's the cause of that chaos. In 1 Corinthians 14, 33, God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Then he commanded them in verse 40, let all things be done decently and in order. Well, there has to be order. In the church, there's an eldership. 
Why is there an eldership? Uh, and that those elders have to be qualified, by the way. First Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, Titus 1, 5 through 9, which, hey, just a heads up, uh, Scott Hamilton is going to join me for a January podcast. He wants to be an elder someday. We're going to be talking about eldership then. We're probably going to do that on a Tuesday going forward. I'm not, I'm not going to keep uh, releasing those podcasts on Thursdays because... Just another side note, we're going to be starting the Zoom Bible study, and that's going to be on Thursday nights. And if you haven't signed up for that, you need to email me or text me if you want to jump in on it. We're going to study the book of Romans. Now, back to point. Uh, so when I have guests in for a podcast, I'll just be releasing them on, on the first Tuesday of the month instead of Thursday going forward, just for scheduling reasons. To our text... Uh, to our subject matter. There has to be roles of authority. Now, regardless of who God puts in charge in the home, we are all, male and female, subject to our Lord, right? In Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 through 18, saints in Colossae were told, giving thanks unto the Father, which made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us in the kingdom of his dear Son, and whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins, who is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. For by him were all things created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether it be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him, and he is before all things, and by him all things consist." And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. So when we talk about the roles of authority, our Lord is our authority figure. And all of us are to be in submission to him. So whether you're a male or a female, you're to look to the scriptures on how we please God. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy wrote by inspiration to the saints in Thessalonica, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that if you received of us how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. For you know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. How we please God comes down to His Word. How we please our Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ comes down to His Word. Therefore... Whether it's this subject matter or any other subject matter, you know, in this podcast, you you might step back and say, you know what, I don't agree with. No, listen, <laughs> we're going to use the scriptures as a standard. So if you're not agreeing with I'm what I'm what I'm going to present, your disagreement's not with me. Your disagreement's going to be with the Lord. He's the standard of authority. All that we say and all that we do is to be by his authority. And Colossians 3, 16 and 17 says that the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever ye do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Whatever it is, whatsoever, it's to be done in the name of or by the authority of the Lord Jesus. And then we're supposed to be able to give thanks. So as we examine this subject matter, like all others, we want to say, well, what's God have to say on the subject? Well, you know what? We just looked at Colossians 3, 16 and 17. If you got your Bible open, notice the very next verse. Colossians 3, 18 says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husband as it is fit in the Lord. So multiple points there, right? Submit to your husband and then we're going to come back here in a little while, and we'll talk about as is fit in the Lord. So the instruction, submit unto your husband, has a qualifier, right? We'll talk about that qualifier as we go forward. So keep following with me as we go through the scriptures. But let's deal with the first point and the instruction of wives, submit unto your own husbands. This is a very clear biblical teaching. I had said that we'd get back to Genesis 3, what happened after the transgression in the garden. And Genesis 3, 16, Lord says unto Eve, unto the woman, he said, 
I will greatly multiply thy sorrow and thy conception. In sorrow thou shalt bring forth children. So for you ladies who have had children, and you know that's not a very delightful experience, thank you, Eve, right? He then goes on, and thy desire shall be to thy husband, and he shall rule over thee. Now, I want to bring to your recollection, when we read Genesis 2, 15 through 24, even before the transgression, the woman was created to be a helpmeet for man. But now you have this clear instruction, the husband shall rule over thee. You will see later, as we go through a series of scriptures, that the Lord has some reasoning behind that. And, and I'll allow the scriptures to bring that out. Our, our next reference is in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 3 through 15. Why does a woman have long hair and a man have short hair? It has to do with authority. Uh, the text says, and, and again, I love, I love the way that the Holy Spirit presents this through the pen of Paul because it starts off with, a reminder of the roles of authority and and even how Christ is in submission to the Father. Notice, I would have you to know the head of every man is Christ. The head of the woman is the man. So you've got you've got Jesus, you've got man, and then above Jesus, the head of Christ is God. So that's the Father, right? The text goes on to explain why a woman has long hair and a man has short hair. It says, Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. But every woman that prayeth or prophesied with her head uncovered, dishonoreth her head. For that is even all as if she were shaven. So, hey, if a woman doesn't have long hair, you're going to see this spelled out for us in verses 14 and 15. A woman doesn't have long hair, she might as well shave her head, and she's dishonoring her head. Who's that? Her husband. But every woman that prayeth or prophesied with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head, for that is even as if she were shaven. Okay? For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. For a man indeed ought not to cover his head, for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man. Do you see how that goes back to the beginning? You've got, you've got man created in God's image and woman taken from man. So the glory of God is man. The glory of man is the woman. You can't miss this. It, it's behind every aspect of roles, both in the marriage, the church, society. Text goes on. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power, meaning authority, on her head because of the angels. And the angels, by the way, are, are witnesses to what's going on on earth. Text goes on. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man, in the Lord. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman, but all things of God. Point being, birth requires women. Procreation doesn't happen just through men alone. Continuing in the text. Judging yourselves, is it comely that a woman pray to God uncovered? Now notice how the explanation is the hair. Doth not even nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it's a shame unto him. But if a woman have long hair, it's a glory to her, for her hair is given to her for a covering. So when a woman who can have long hair, I know there are women that can't. We're not talking about those aspects. When a woman that can have long hair decides, I'm going to cut it short or I'm going to shave it, she's dishonoring her head, which is man. She is showing, hey, I, I, I'm, I'm rebellious against God's instruction of man's authority. That's significant. And, and the way society has dumped all this is terrible. When a man decides that he wants to have long hair, and, you know, when you look at, at society, we go through these periods of time where men start to have long hair, and, and that's coming back into style. I, I was so grateful in my lifetime when I saw that change, and it wasn't in style, but now you see dudes sporting women's haircuts and vice versa. It is looking at God and saying, I despise your roles of authority. 
what a shame. Okay, so I had mentioned that we're going to let the scriptures explain Genesis 3.16. So 1 Timothy 2.11-15 does that. It says, Let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, that's point number one, nor to usurp authority over the man, that's point number two, but to be in silence, that's point number three. This is not talking about the worship assembly. I've heard over the years, and, and by the way, there is instructions about the worship assembly in 1 Corinthians 14 uh, that we'll, we'll actually talk about making a different point here in a little bit. But this is not talking about the worship assembly. If you back up in the context just a little bit, 1 Timothy 2.8 says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Then verse 9 says, In like manner also women adorn themselves in modest apparel with shamefastness, so bravery, not with broided hair or gold or pearls or costly ray, but that which becometh women professing godliness of good works. Then let the woman learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach, nor to usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. Now, why? For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Eve, or, I'm sorry, switched words here. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Notwithstanding, she shall be saved in childbearing. For if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So when you put everything together that we've talked about so far, God didn't destroy Eve. Why? Man needed to help me and procreation. Why is man head over woman? One, man needed to help me. Woman was taken from man. Two, he rules over her because she was in the transgression. The scriptures explain themselves, folks, and, and, and doesn't call for the commentary of men. Now, one more reference along this line. And, and and it should clarify any questions that are out there about the line of thought that we're establishing. In 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. Just starting there with, with that thought, likewise, when you put that into point, it goes back into chapter 2, where Christ is an example, following his steps. He didn't sin. Guile was not his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile again, didn't threaten, committed himself to him that judges righteously, went to the cross bearing his, uh, on the body, bearing, his sin, bearing our sins, being uh, that we could live in a righteousness by whose stripes were we healed. How Peter says to the saints there, you were sheep gone astray, but now return to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. Likewise, see that the chapter division there doesn't help grammatically. So putting that into context, likewise, you wives, be in subjection unto your own husbands, that if any obey not the word, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation of the wife. So like as Jesus is a great example, like as Jesus tried to save those lost, here is a Christian wife married to a non-Christian man. If that non-Christian man will not obey the gospel, if they can't be one with the gospel, then let them be one by the conduct of the wife. Going back and looking at Jesus who did no sin, nor guile found in his mouth, etc., etc. So verse 2 goes on. While they behold your chaste conversation coupled with fear, whose adorning, let it not be that outward adorning of the plating of the hair and the wearing of gold or the putting of apparel, but let it be the hidden man of the heart, in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price." For after this manner, in the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves, being a subjection of their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters ye are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. So there's just very clear line of scriptures from Genesis 3.16 to 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. And then 
when you look at other contexts, the terms are not confusing. Man confuses all of this. Uh, and, and, and I'm speaking man in a general sense. Human beings make, make this the problem. You know, in Ephesians 5, verses 22 through 24, it says, Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be in their own husbands and everything. So when you put together some of these things, in 1 Peter 3, the Christian woman is in subjection to her husband, even when her husband is not a Christian. It's not just a Christianity thing. It is a from the beginning of creation aspect of truth, right? The level of subjection is as, as unto the Lord. It is the same where you have instructions for children, you know, in Colossians 3.20, if you were to keep reading in Colossians 3, children, obey your parents in all things, for this is well-pleasing in the Lord. Now, amazingly, people don't tend to have a problem with that. But when a woman is told, submit unto your husband, now all of a sudden it's like, no way, that, that's not going to happen. Now, we want to dig in a little bit. Before we get to as is fit in the Lord, I want to talk about a, a submissive wife and how that doesn't mean that a husband is to put her in a closet and only pull her out when he feels like she is useful. A godly woman is awesome when the pattern of the scriptures is followed. Uh, I, I'm not the standard. My marriage is not the standard. I don't intend to say this to create my situation as a standard. In fact, the way our household has run doesn't work for all people. Uh, some some of our brethren here in El Paso, uh, they know this about Katrina and I, my wife, uh, Katrina and I. Uh, we both have personalities that work great together. We just had work done in our house. And we are both um, a little bit OCD-ish. Maybe I shouldn't even say a little bit. <laughs> we, we, we are detail-oriented, very specific. So we work together well. We, we had to clear out the whole upstairs of our, our home, four bedrooms, and put everything into a pod storage container uh, in, in our driveway. And, and we left some things downstairs. Uh, in part to create a barrier so our dog Boomer wasn't getting all over the men working on our house. So long story short, uh, my point is just this. We don't have to communicate. We've been married 28 years. We've been together as a couple for 30. Um, she knows exactly how I'm going to pack that pod, which is floor to ceiling, and I want everything organized special. The only thing that puzzled me, it's kind of a joke now, is she had a book, a box that she labeled uh, Master Bedroom and put a question mark there. So I'm like, what? What's the question mark? Well, the way I load and unload is so that everything comes into the pod from a bedroom and stays together so that when it comes back into the house, the things that you need to store it in come in first, and then the items that need to be stored come in second, and so forth and so on. She packed that way. It, it just happened because we're both those type of people. She labeled the boxes in a way that I could organize them and pack them in. And not everybody is like that. One, one of my sisters down here uh, in El Paso told me yesterday, I wish I was like that. And I told her, ah, it's not always good to be that way because sometimes it just makes you hyper nuts. Sometimes my wife and I are hyper nuts. You know, it's like more stress than is necessary. And then, then and so it doesn't work. Like, so I understand my marriage is not a pattern for you. I am just wanting to say this. We pattern our marriage after what we read in the scriptures, not on how we grew up, and not on the experiences that we've seen in other people, but after the scriptures. And there are times, like when my wife started homeschooling, we had a sister in Christ in Pennsylvania. Her name was Kim. She was homeschooling before we homeschooled. She was an older sister in Christ. My wife did what Titus 2, 3 through 5 teaches. She let the older sister in Christ advise her. She had experience. She was spiritually minded at that time. 
we looked, or not we, but my wife looked to her for guidance. My wife made decisions based on what she said, but then she brought them to me. And I had to make decisions based on what was good for our household because there were some things that we couldn't afford that that family did. There are some materials that we chose not to go after because it was a financial investment we weren't in a position to make. So we had to, 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 my wife brought the information to me. I had to make the decisions for what was good for the household, both physically and spiritually. And it worked just fine because my wife never looked at me and said, hey, I disagree with this. She trusted that I was making the best decision. And we homeschooled our two boys, and they both are able to succeed in the world carnally because they know how to read, write, do arithmetic, et cetera, et cetera, pass tests, et cetera, et cetera. But it took counsel from outside. And then the decision within the framework of our household, how that works best for us, and I was the ultimate decision maker. But my wife was very busy in the process. She did the legwork, and I want to draw your attention to Proverbs chapter 31, because the, the, the woman who is virtuous is the greatest asset in the home. It's, it's like anything else. If you go to a corporation, and you've got a CEO or, that makes all these decisions, the company doesn't run because of him. It runs because of everybody that's working under him. Who's the most important people in that company? The people that are doing the work without the title. The same thing happens in a godly household, folks. A godly woman is the backbone of that household. Listen to this. Who can find a virtuous woman? Now, again, you know, for lack of better terms, I'm not condoning gambling, but just as a phrase the world uses, I hit the lottery with my wife. I got lucky when we met. We lived in the same neighborhood. We went to the same high school. Man, I just, I just got the right woman. I am so thankful for her. Like Solomon said, who can find a virtuous woman? So again, not every man is so fortunate. He says, for her price is far above rubies. The heart of her husband does safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. So think about going back to creation, a helpmeet, a helpmeet you can trust, right? She seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. She is like the merchant ships. She bringeth forth her fruit from afar. She rises also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her maidens. She considereth the field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands, she planteth a vineyard. See, see how she's making decisions? But she's making decisions that aren't going to hurt her husband. She's falling in line with the head of the household. Do you see this? She's not in a closet and she's not stuck in the kitchen. Okay. The text goes on. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth out not by night. Right, now, it's funny. I'm recording this on Monday, the 13th. This is going to come out for you all here in a little less than 24 hours. Last night, Sunday night, my wife and I started working at 7.30 on putting things back in bedrooms. We finished our bedroom up last night, uh, Taylor's the, the night before, Trey, of course, took care of most of his stuff, and we have to still do some work in, in this fourth bedroom that she uses as a place where she studies, but she also homeschools Taylor. You know, Taylor's 25 years old, but she's autistic, on classified as mentally retarded, but Katrina still tries to do schoolwork with her and still tries to break those, those barriers. Well, we have work still to do in that room, mainly because we're waiting on something to come from Amazon that's holding us up. But we started at 7.30 last night, and we worked until, I think it was like 12-something. Uh, and, and my wife's right there doing things while I'm putting things together. She's, she's working, uh, doing things. Uh, so forth, so on. And we were working as a team. She was being a help me to me. But let me tell you this. She has terrible rheumatoid arthritis. 
And it's so bad that she can't, like this morning, she can't lift her arms up. Uh, she pressed through all that. I didn't command her to do it. The fact is, she wouldn't not do it. You understand what I'm saying? Just like myself. I've got two ruptured discs in my back, but I was bending over in pain and agony, working on things that needed to be done in our household. Nobody else is going to do it, so we need to do it. We work together. So when you're reading this, her candle goeth out, not out by night, a good godly woman, when there's work to be done, does it. And again, not that that disqualifies the man. We'll get to that in this podcast too. So she layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the staff. She stretcheth out her hand to the poor. Yea, she reaches forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household. For all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it, delivereth girdles unto the merchant. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in the time to come. So look, she's not an excuse maker. She works through hard times, through hardship. She clothes herself, her family. She's not in the closet, nor just in the kitchen. You get that? Says so she opened her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. So, hey, ladies out there, you don't want to just sit back and say, my husband will do it all. Says her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Isn't it great? And I know all men can't do this. And by the way, all women can't do it for their husbands either. But in a good godly marriage, the woman can be praised by her husband. He recognizes her value. The text goes on. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. So it's, hey, there are good women out there, but then there's your rare, exceptional, virtuous woman. Favor is deceitful. And beauty is vain. So hey, all you men out there who are looking for wives, and those of you who have found them, and you found the beauty queen, I got lucky, I hit the jackpot on both, but if all you're looking at is the outward appearance, that might be all you're going to get. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Why is that so important? Because you're not going to have the debate over roles of authority in a home when a woman fears the Lord. And by the way, the head of that home is truly going to be Christ, right? Like we read in 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 3. So text finishes up. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gate. So she's reputable. Now, a good wife is awesome for a good husband. Proverbs 12, 4 says, A virtuous woman is a crown to her husband. On the flip side, but she that maketh ashamed is rottenness in his bones. And Proverbs 14, 1, Every wise woman buildeth her house, but the foolish plucketh it down with her hands. Look at that contrast in both of those verses. And Proverbs 18, 22, Whoso findeth a wife findeth a good thing and obtaineth favor of the Lord. So the search aspect of that, right? In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it's a context dealing with the point of marriage, one aspect of marriage, not the entirety of marriage, but one aspect is to avoid fornication. Every man find his own wife, every woman find her own husband, uh, render the, the due benevolence to each other, first five verses, but then Paul gave his counsel. The, at that time, there was heavy persecution. Marriage wasn't the wisest choice, but if you could not contain Mary. Later in that context, down in 1 Corinthians 7, 31, and, and, and here's a qualifier. They that use this world is not abusing, for the fashion of this world pass away. Now, there's a qualifier to what we're about to read in verse 34. You, you can use the world, but not abuse it in the marriage. Verse 34 says, there's a difference between a wife and a virgin. The unmarried woman cares for the things of the Lord, that she may be holy both in body and spirit. But she that is married cares for the things of the world, how she may please her husband. So a, a godly woman, a virtuous woman, also has some aspect of carnality 
as it relates to pleasing her husband. So the virtuous woman's a crown. She builds her house. She's a good thing. She cares about the things of the world, how that she might please her husband. So she doesn't get the wedding ring. And then all of a sudden, not care about how she looks, how she smells, and other things that may please her husband. Now, this is where it's going to be different in every household, right? Uh, we've had this discussion. I've had this discussion with brethren uh, over the years. There are some men that don't want their wives to wear makeup or or perfume or, or yada, yada, yada. And then there are those that do. This is where this liberty comes down to the husband's desire and the wife fulfilling that desire. Real simple. It's a liberty, okay? She's going to care for some things in the world, how that she might please her husband. Good stuff. The scriptures give this whole pattern. Don't worry, ladies. We're going to come and talk about men too. But the flip side that we've already touched a little bit on, a godly woman could be awesome for her husband or an ungodly woman could be a force of destruction in the home. Worse than man. In 1 Kings 21, 25, you know, there it says, there was none like unto Ahab, King Ahab in Israel, which did sell himself to work wickedness in the sight of the Lord. Terrible, right? You want to know what the engine was behind that? The verse ends with, whom Jezebel, his wife, stirred up. You know, there are women that behind the scenes control their husbands. Jezebel was just like that, a conniving woman. Hey, I, I, I saw it in my father's marriage. I don't know if it's still like that, but it was when I lived there. And it's unfortunate. You have a woman that, hey, she's meek and quiet in front of everybody else. But then she's that whisper in the husband's ear, do this, do that, do this, and then makes his life miserable until she gets what she wants. She's a Jezebel. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 9 and then verse 19, says, it is better to dwell in the corner of a housetop than with a brawling woman in a white house. What other way can you illustrate it? Well, verse 19 it is better to dwell in the wilderness than with a contentious and angry woman. So you've got a woman behind the scenes or the woman who is just like Roseanne Barr uh, on TV years ago, who is just a force. And you know what? You'd rather go to the roof or the wilderness to get away from that wild beast of a woman. And Proverbs 27, 15 and 16 says a continuous dropping, right? That drip. Drip, drip, drip. Oh, that can get annoying. A continual dropping in a very rainy day and a contentious woman are alike. Whosoever hideth her hideth the wind and the ointment of his right hand, which berayeth itself. I, I, some of you guys out there didn't need to hear those scriptures. You already know it. Fortunately, I'm not personally experiencing it, but I've seen it. And I know men, I know brethren that have to deal with this in their marriage. It's terrible. It's not grounds for divorce. The only ground for putting away a spouse is fornication, Matthew 19, verses 3 through 12, specifically verse 9. But it doesn't mean life is great. And that's horrible. But and sometimes it's the reality. Be careful who you marry. Now, I want to talk about as is fit in the Lord. A wife cannot submit to her husband to a point wherein she is disobedient to God. Give you this line of scriptures. Matthew 10, 34-39. Jesus says, Think not I'm come to send peace on earth. I'm come not to send peace, but a sword. For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father, the daughter against her mother, the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's foe should be they of his own household. He that loveth father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. He that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. He that taketh not his cross and followeth after me is not worthy of me. He that finds life shall lose it and loses life for my sake shall find it. The principle here is God first. Jesus specifically, his authority first. In other terms, 
Luke 14, 25 through 33, there went great multitudes with him. He turned and said unto them, if any man come to me and hate not his father, mother, wife, and children, brethren, and sisters, yea, in his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whosoever doth not bear his cross come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, intending to build a tower, sit not down first and count the cost, whether he has sufficient to finish it. Lest happily, after he had laid the foundation, not able to finish it, all began to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, says not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else, while the other is a great way off, he sendeth an ambassage and desireth condition of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaken all they have cannot be my disciple. Look, it's, it's Lord first. Paul said in Galatians 1.10, For do I persuade men or God, or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. It's the Lord first. Our salvation hinges on obedience to the Lord, male and female. Hebrews 5.8.9, Though we are son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the author, meaning the source, of eternal salvation to all that obey him. This is your salvation at stake. When we look at the New Testament, Civil authorities are to be obeyed. Romans 13, 1 through 7, 1 Peter 2, 13 through 16. And yet, when the civil authorities commanded the apostles not to preach the gospel, the Holy Ghost led apostle Peter said in Acts 5, 29, with the other apostles, we ought to obey God rather than men. That's always the case. That's why Colossians 3, 18 says, wives submit unto your husbands, as it is fit in the Lord. If the husband is taking you down a sinful path, you don't submit to him. You submit first to the Lord. In all cases, all the time, without exception, Lord's will first. We talked about that in Colossians 3, 16 and 17. We talked about it in 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2. You see it illustrated in various ways. Within the framework of the home, children don't obey their parents to the disobedience of the Lord. Wives don't obey their husbands to the disobedience of the Lord. Husbands don't cater to the desire of the wife to the disobedience of the Lord. It's always Lord first. Now, to the husband's side. Oof. Again, I've had many of the discussion with women after I've taught lessons like this. I can't submit to my husband because... Now listen, like we talked about in 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, even if your husband's not a Christian, he's the head of the household unless his instruction is in opposition to the Lord. That's the only exception. Even if he's an idiot. Okay? Now, you husbands, listen up. The Lord gives you instructions. Husbands, in Ephesians 5, 25, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now listen, 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 listen. You are to be the head of your household like the Lord is the head of the church. Like the Lord who gives this invitation in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 29, Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy rate, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. You should find rest of your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The Lord does not put on us heavy, burdensome restrictions. As I'm recording this podcast, my wife, who worked last night with me, and her shoulders are killing her today, is sitting in the living room, hopefully asleep, with ice packs on her shoulders. There's work to be done, but by all means, I'm using my authority and telling her, take it easy. I don't want her to be hurt. Last night, I kept telling her, hey, take it easy. She wanted to carry a box upstairs. No. I looked at her. No. Don't touch a box. I will carry it. Oh, but I want to help your back. No. I used my authority to lessen her burden. I didn't use my authority to lessen mine. I used my authority to lessen her burden. Why? Because that's the Lord's example to me. The commandments of the Lord are not burdensome. 1 John 5, verse 3, this is the love of God that we keep His commandments and His commandments are not grievous. That word grievous means burdensome, okay? A man who loves his wife is not going to be an ogre. You know? 
You get it? So, Ephesians 5, 28 through 33. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. This is a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. Men who are godly, who follow the scriptures, are not going to go back and use Proverbs 31, 10 through 31 to put their wives into a form of slavery. They're not going to put more on their wife than she can take. More on this. Colossians 3.19. And here's a hard instruction. You know, I got a brother out there that probably is going to listen to this podcast. And he and I have talked about this before. His wife does not fit the virtuous woman uh, aspect. And this instruction, Colossians 3.19. Husbands, love your wives and be not bitter against them. Even when she's not fitting the virtuous woman aspect, you can't be bitter against them. You need to love her as your own body, as Christ loved the church. In 1 Peter 3, 7, we read verses 1 through 6 earlier, says, likewise, so going all the way back to Jesus in 1 Peter 2 and forward, likewise, ye husbands, so it's, without guile, be a good example, etc. Dwell with them, that is, with the wife, according to knowledge. Give honor unto the wife, as unto the weaker vessel, as being heirs together the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. So treat her like she's precious, like she's valuable china, not your personal slave. Yes, there's work to be done in a household. It is laborsome. There's things that need to be done in life that are laborsome, but don't make it more burdensome than need be. And don't use your authority or the scriptures as a way to enslave your wife. Men, one of the reasons women have a hard time being submissive and one of the reasons women have a hard time... Uh, submitting of their husbands as fit in the Lord, is the husbands don't act like men. There are things that ought to be natural for us as men. Guys, like 1 Timothy 5, 8, if any man provide not for his own, especially those on his house, he has denied the faith and is worse than an infidel. That's in a context, not just talking about taking care of your wife and your children, but even of widows and your family, etc., men are to be seen as providers. That's been lost in society. It's a shame. But while your wife can be that helpmeet and she can be that virtuous woman, let me ask you this. Can your wife look at you and know you got this? When times get tough, my husband's going to step up. Or are you this little itty-bitty weakling who when times get tough are going to shrink and go hide in a corner and cry and your wife's going to have to rise up in your place i've known men like that and their wives struggle to submit to them because they're not like men they're needy whiny dudes oh well, yo, i need you to do this ah, come on guys act ye like men like paul said to the corinthians in first corinthians 16 13 Quit ye like men. You know why that phrase exists? Act like a man. Because there is a persona that ought to be out there. For you to be a leader in your home, you have to be the type of leader that your wife wants to follow. Not somebody that she's afraid to follow. Because she knows that you're going to lead her down some wrong path. You want to be a leader, you got to be a leader. And that applies spiritually. I mentioned earlier when we were talking about 1 Timothy 2, 8 through 15, that there's an instruction in 1 Corinthians 14 that applies to the woman in the church. 
and that I would use this scripture in this podcast in, in, in a different way than, than we were talking then. 1 Corinthians 14, 34 and 35, Let your women keep silence in the churches, for not permitted unto them to speak. But they're commanded to be under obedience, as also saith the law. And if they'll learn anything, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is a shame for women to speak in the church. Let me ask you this. Yes, this is about women not taking speaking roles in the assembly, and particularly connected to spiritual gifts contextually. But let me ask you this, men. Are you the spiritual leaders in your home? Can your wife look to you with her Bible questions? Can she count on your knowledge, your strength, your guidance, your faith? Can she look at you and know you got this? Can she be weak and count on you to be double strong? Can your children do that? Ephesians 6, 4, ye fathers, provoke not your children wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Men, fathers, do your children look at you and know that you can nurture them and admonish them, both sides, in accordance with the Lord's will? Do they know that? Is there that balance? Can you be like Joshua, where Joshua said in Joshua 24, 15, if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom you'll serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Can you make that statement? I'm not talking about taking the free will away of your wife and your children. There is free will. You can't make them obey the gospel. But you can guide your house. If you're a man, for example, I'll just use an outlying example here. If you're a man and your wife says, I'm going to bring wine into the house, whether she's a Christian or not, we know if she's bringing wine in the house, she's not a faithful Christian, she's apostate. But just for illustration's sake, are you a man that can say, not in my house? Are you that man? You need to be. And if you expect your wife to follow you, she needs to be able to see that in you. If you expect your children to follow you, they need to be able to see that in you. To be a leader, you have to be capable of leading. Now, with the women, we talked about the carnal needs. With the men, in that same context in 1 Corinthians 7, again, with a qualifier, Verse 31, that qualifier, they that use this world as not abusing it for the fashion of this world pass away. So we're not talking about going into carnal sinfulness in the marriage. But then the text goes on, but I would have you without carefulness. He that is unmarried care for the things that belong to the Lord, how he might please the Lord. But he that is married care for the things that are of the world, how he may please his wife. The husband and the wife, here's, now we're talking about the husband. As a husband, I'm going to do some things for my wife carnally related in a non-sinful way that are going to please her. I'm going to use this world without abusing it to please her. This puts the man in a servant mentality, right? Hey, and by the way, in a Christian home, again, Christ being the head of that home, as he is the church and all things, in a Christian home, all of this is balanced by Galatians 5.13. For brethren, you have been called into liberty. Only use not your liberty to occasion for the flesh, but by love serve one another. So that while there's that role of authority, just like in the church, right? Elders have authority. They're the shepherds of the flock, but they're also serving their brethren. Same thing in the home. When two Christians are faithfully married... You almost trip over each other trying to help one another. It's awesome. Men, lead your home that way so that your wife can see your example and follow it and not just hear you say, I want you to do this, I want you to do that, but see you do it. Think about the workplace. Who has more respect in management? The guy that every once in a while comes down and shows to the workers that he knows what he's doing, or the guy that just barks out orders? You know the answer to that question. 
Now, earlier in this podcast, I'd mentioned that my wife went to an older sister in Christ. And I want to come back to this point in conclusion. It's important. What are the older sisters in a congregation supposed to be teaching to the younger? Titus 2, 3 through 5, the aged woman likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. So, of course, before you can teach anything, you got to live it, right? Not false accusers, not giving them much wine, teachers of good things. That they may teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. There's your pattern, folks. If you're a man and you want your household to run the way the Bible teaches it, check out Titus 2, 3 through 5. When you deviate from the pattern, all bets are off. Using a worldly phrase, not trying to imply that you ought to be gambling. But I think you get the point. I hope this lesson, this study has been enlightening. Maybe it's challenging. Hey, listen. If you're out there, a husband and or a wife, and you're having challenges in your marriage, put these scriptures in play. Sit down with your spouse and say, let's listen to this podcast. You can pause it, right? Pause it. Let's read these verses. Pause. Read these verses. Pause. My wife tells me when she listens to it, she's paused and then rewind 10 seconds a bunch of times. She spends hours listening to this podcast. Um, I don't know about a lot of other people how they do it, but I know one other brother tells me he does similar things. Pause and then rewinds to pick up because they like to follow along their Bible. Maybe some of you are driving the other way. Well, on this podcast, if you if you get your marriage isn't where the Bible says it should be, ask your spouse. Say, Let, let's sit down and who cares about what Brian's saying? You know, I, I was trying to use some things just to clarify, but disregard all that if you want. Doesn't matter. I'm not the standard. Use the scriptures that we discussed in this podcast and be fair to your spouse. Look at your spouse and say, do you see areas in these scriptures where I need improvement? And not just, I see areas where you need improvement. I've had these conversations with my wife over the years of our marriage. And you know what? When you can honestly communicate one with another, that communication ought not lead to hurt feelings. It ought to lead to, hey, I want this marriage to work and for it to work the right way. And this is the way that it can work. But if you're going to apply the scriptures, you can't just pick some of them. You got to use them all, right? So that's it for our study today. I'm thankful that you listened. And I look forward to the next opportunity if such arises and our Lord doesn't come first. So thank you. And at this point, I shall say goodbye.